If you have your Bible tonight, turn with me to the book of Jeremiah. Old Testament prophet Jeremiah has something to share with us tonight. Going to Jeremiah 46 and verse 17. The Bible says, And they did cry there, Pharaoh king of Egypt is but a noise. He hath passed the time appointed. He is just a noise. He's passed his appointed time. Lord, we thank and praise you today. We ask God for your blessing to come upon us tonight. As we bring the word of the Lord, I pray that you would inspire and encourage your people. Help us to rise up and be strong and be the people of God in this hour. In Jesus' name. And let the church say, in Jesus' name. name. And you may be seated. I'm going to preach to you tonight a fun little message. Pharaoh got a new name. He did. He got a new name. And while I do not intend to destroy Satan or to deny his existence, I do intend tonight to diminish his authority and his place in our lives. Now, some people may not really believe in Satan. That was a boxer, I'm told, one time who was in the ring and he'd been through many, several rounds. It was almost finished. He was badly beaten. Over in the corner in between rounds while he was getting cleaned up, he sat there on his stool battered and bruised, and he leaned over and he told his trainer and he said, Throw in the towel. He said, this guy's killing me. But the trainer, not willing to give up the fight, said, oh, no, no, he's not. He's not. He's not even hitting you. He hasn't even laid a glove on you. The boxer said, well, then, he said, would you please watch that referee? Because somebody is sure hitting me. As we live for God, sometimes we we fend off blows, or we feel like that we're fending off blows. We we feel like we're being attacked. We, we feel like that, that we're being ganged up on. We, we, we feel like something is after me to get me. Hallelujah. But sometimes, people, it's in your mind. In fact, all the time it's in your mind. And it's what's in our mind that's important. Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Oh, hallelujah. I had the building inspector here yesterday, and we went through the building to talk about where we were at, and one of the final, he says, you're good to go at every point, he said, but the plumbing that you're doing right now, he said, that plumbing will need to be tested. It'll have to either be a water test or an air test. Well, the water test is off, off the table because all of our plumbing is not hooked up to the septic system and the water incoming in is not there. It's not, not ready for that yet, but there's another way they can do it. In fact, they did it when they put the plumbing in below the slab in the, in the ground before they actually poured the concrete. They had to do seal off all the pipes and they had to pump air pressure in there and the inspector had to come and he had to look at the gauge and that had to hold pressure for an hour. So the building inspector said, when you get it all done, he said, you're going to hook it up and do an air test. He said, call me in the morning, turn the thing on, and I'll be over in an hour or so. And it has to stay at that level uh, uh, for that whole hour. And once that happens, you'll be good to go. He said, and the reason you want to do that is because you don't want to get your, 
gypsum up. You don't want to get your sheetrock up and your walls up and then turn the water on and then have a leak and then have to go in and take everything down. So it's a safety measure, you know, to be sure that we've got everything sealed up the way we need to do. But they have to put the pipe under pressure. It's a pressure test that has to happen there. Now, they build nuclear submarines that could go so deep in the ocean and they can sail under the polar cap. They can, these nuclear submarines are so strong they can sail into the Arctic Circle and batter their way through the ice. But there is a limitation. There's a maximum depth that that submarine can dive. During World War II, it was around 300 feet. You know, and so when the submarine was going under attack, under a depth charge, they would dive down to that 300-foot level. But sometimes, in order to evade the depth charges, were set, which were set for the same depth that the submarine was, they would squeeze it down a little bit more. They'd go down a little bit more. And they never knew when it would pop. The rivets would start popping. The pipes would start popping and breaking open and leaks would be springing up and there'd be emergency going off everywhere and they'd keep going a little bit door, lower and it, it, it hasn't burst yet but it's breaking apart it's pinging it's stressing we can hear the steel stressing it's reaching it's gone past the maximum certifiable safety point and these nuclear submarines can go very deep but they can't go all the way down some years ago the united states lost a submarine the uss thresher lost it, it disappeared. It went below the maximum depth. And the sea pressure and the seawater crushed those steel bulkheads as if they were so much cheap plastic. And the recovery teams, all they ever found of that submarine were little fragments. It had burst and had been lost forever because it had exceeded its maximum pressure couldn't take the pressure. Now what's amazing is that at the same depth that that submarine lost was lost, there are fish in the sea who live at that same depth and even lower. Fish can handle the pressure that the submarine, which is a big steel construction, cannot handle. How is it that they can do that? It's because they have an, a mechanism inside of them that allows them to put external pressure against the incoming pressure. They are pressurized. Something inside of them is strong enough to hold back what's outside of them and stronger even than that. Hallelujah. And so they can survive and live in safety. They can handle the pressure. They can take the test. Hallelujah. Oh, can you say praise the Lord, somebody? I felt under tremendous pressure yesterday. My crew was out there. You may see that hole by the door over there. And that ground, that frost in that ground is a foot thick. And that crusher run rubble that's under that pavement is as hard as cement. It's like a concrete slab a foot thick. You just can't hardly break it. Now, they had to open up that hole. And right there where they have to open up that hole in that wall, they have to get at this there is the 220 power line that's coming through into the building, which they can't break or disturb, or we're going to have people get killed. 
They got the 220 power line coming in. They got the well line that connects, a little thin well line that goes out to the well. If we snap that or break that, we are in trouble. We won't have water. They got the telephone line coming in, which has our internet and our phone and everything. It's a little thin line coming in. And, and what's worse than that? The gas line. The gas line coming in. You can imagine what would happen if they broke that gas line and the gas comes pouring out and sparks fly, would ignite the gas, and this building wouldn't, wouldn't, it would just, it would burn it right up because it's right next to the side of the building. Now, all of that frozen ground was frozen around all of these lines and pipes, and we had to remove it. And they got a big old backhoe out there. <laughs> And I'm pulling up, and I, oh, I'm standing out there and watching. I'm sweating bullets. I'm sweating bullets. And then, then they get as close. I mean, that thing was two or three inches from some of those lines, and they get it in there and pull. And then they get down there with a pickaxe and a shovel, and they're chopping away, chopping away, two inches off of the gas line with a pickaxe. And I'm thinking, oh dear God, I could just see it. They're going to hit that gas line. They're going to hit that power line. The guy's going to be electrocuted. And I'm just said, and my stomach was in knots. By noon, I was in knots. I'm telling you, I just, I told the guys, I can't take it anymore. I gotta leave. I mean, it just, you guys are killing me. He said, you know, I, I can just imagine. All it would take is one little slip, you know, one, one bounce off of a, a rocky stone or an icy stone and into the, the line, and that's it. You know, we've got, we got big problems. And they worked at it, and I'm standing right over and watching them just carefully as I can. You're not going to mess up under my watch. Amen. And, and I give them a little scraper, you know, and that. Here, I don't want you to shovel. I don't want you to hammer it. Just take the scraper and scrape off around it. Scrape. And the guy's down in the mud in a cold, a freezing cold. He's scraping away. They're scraping. They're working away. And they worked at it for hours and hours, and they finally got at it. Whew. Did I ever breathe a sigh of relief? When all those lines were floating free of the earth and none of them had been hurt or destroyed. But I'm telling you what, that was pressure, pressure. I don't want to have to have that again. Just imagining what could happen and the worst could happen. And at one point, uh, my wife called and I shot back a response and told her what I was dealing with and the pressure. I wished I had saved her exact text. I don't have it, but I will roughly paraphrase it. But she came back with a famous classic line and the response that went along these lines of have faith in God. This is his project. Have faith in the workmen who are experienced and they know what you're doing. Have faith in yourself. God's got you covered. Don't be afraid. So he didn't say those exact words, but it was along those lines. And then I thought, well, she just whipped that right back. And I thought, oh, that, that's good for you. You're way up there in Corinthians. You don't see what's going on down here. <laughs> But you know what? You know what? It, it was encouraging, amen. And, and it, it speaks to what I want to share with you tonight, what I want to talk to you about. Now, the year was 604 BC, and the Middle East was in a turmoil with Judah, Israel, caught right up in the middle of it. Well, what's new about that? The weakening Assyrian Empire was being challenged by the upstart rebellious kingdom of Babylon, which had been in submission to it for a hundred or so years. The great Egyptian civilization was in what has been called by history the late period dynasties, which were dynasties 26 through 31. So what that tells you is that all of it, it 
All of Egypt's great days are behind them. All their great days and their high times and their big pyramid building and all their great Egyptian culture, that's all well behind them. The Hebrews had left hundreds of years before and gotten out of there and gotten into Canaan. And so, and now the Assyrian Empire is weakening, and, and uh, so it was that uh, he had, the Assyrians had been driven back out of Egypt and back to the Sinai by Prince Samic, Samtik of Sais, who established the 26th dynasty. And uh, he brought back a revival of the worship of the national god of the Egyptians, Amun-Re, the sun god. But the priests of Amun-Re were not as effective as they had been centuries before when it was at the height of Egyptian culture. And they, they were not successful and not able to control and unify the religious spirit and activities of the people of Egypt who were not really worshiping Amun-Re so much anymore, but had turned to a variety of animal cult worship, of which cats and crocodiles were on the top of the list of things that they worshipped. In fact, there are great cemeteries in Egypt where sacred cats and sacred crocodiles in these various temples, when they died, were embalmed just like humans had been embalmed and were buried in these sacred uh, uh, cemeteries. And so the, the national religion of Egypt uh, had, had broken down and had, had, had fractured, and, and this was indicative and a sign of its, of its cultural and spiritual estate, that it was truly a place where that, uh, their uh, appointment is over, that they have passed the time appointed. Egypt had passed its appointed time. It, it was now well beyond its heyday as an empire. But still there remained of it the reputation of the great civilization, of the great armies that had marched north so many times on campaigns and had conquered various stages of the Middle East all the way up to Assyria. And so it was that uh, uh, Samtik's son, Pharaoh Necho, uh, succeeded the throne, and as a teenage uh, pharaoh in 610 B.C., sees what's happening in the Middle East with the rise of Babylon and knows that Babylon is the up-and-coming power that is going to shape the future of that area of the world. He sees that. The Assyrians are losing their grip on empire, and the Babylonians are the next in line to take it. And so he makes an alliance with the Assyrians and... He moves northward. Uh, he comes uh, to uh, join along with Assyria to withstand uh, the, the armies of Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon who are coming in. He, he travels along the Sinai Peninsula and uh, up the coastline. The Via Maris was the name of the highway that borders the Mediterranean Sea, the Via Maris, or the Way of the Sea. And he travels all the way up until he, he joins with the Assyrians at Carchemis. And there Nebuchadnezzar soundly defeats the Assyrian-Egyptian alliance in one of the most famous battles recorded from ancient history, still studied in military texts and schools today, and drives Pharaoh Necho, escapes, 
and he goes back into Egypt. But before he does, and I want to say that incidentally on his drive north, King Josiah of Judah, the godly King Josiah of Judah, who had started a national revival in, Ju in Judah, thought that he could withstand Pharaoh, and he marches his armies out and is defeated at Megiddo and, is, and loses his life. And on the way back, because Judah is now a conquered, subjugated kingdom of the Egyptians, Pharaoh Necho chooses an appointment and sets up Judah as a as a puppet state, and so it will remain for the near future, a puppet state, a buffer state between Egypt and the new up-and-coming power of the world, the new next world empire of Babylon. And his son, or his succeeder, uh, Pharaoh Apirus, comes up after him, and the Egyptians... Uh, Will uh, the next Pharaoh encourages King Jehoiakim to resist the, the advancing Babylonians? He's encouraging the little empire of Judah to stand against the Babylonians. You, you stand, we'll, you, you take them. We'll be, I got your back. You just resist them, you fight them, we'll send you help, whatever you need, we'll be there. I got you covered. We, you've got the great empire of Egypt and all of our armies behind you. We'll together, we're going to stop Nebuchadnezzar from, from coming. And the Judahite kings had had no previous experience with Babylon, which was new on the stage. And so it, doesn't, it didn't have its international empire reputation as of yet. And so it seemed like the power that was represented by Egypt in all of its ancient times and culture would be the best bet. And we'll stand, we'll stand behind Egypt. They've, they've got our back and we will resist uh, Pharaoh or, or, or Nebuchadnezzar. But what happens? And I would say too that I, mentioned, I wanted to mention that God the King Josiah, it was just, if, you read, if you read his life story and he comes to this tragic end and you wonder, God, why did you let that happen? He was one of the first kings that really came and brought the people back to God and he lived a godly life and he goes out to fight the enemy and you don't got his back. Well, you know what happened? Here's what happened. God had plans with what was going on in the world. He had plans for Assyria, Egypt, and Babylon. God had plans to deal with Judah and with Israel. He was already moving kingdoms around and shaping things and and, and Josiah made the mistake of getting in the way of God's plan. He was a godly man and a godly king, but in this point, he didn't trust God. And against the advice of his prophets, he marched against Pharaoh. God told him, don't do it, and he did it anyway. He thought he knew better than God, and he got in the way of God's plans, and so God didn't have his back. And so that's a word of wisdom to, to us tonight, a word of wisdom. Don't get in the way of God's plan. If God's got a plan, you might not understand that plan. You might not get where God is going with it, and it might be confusing, but don't get in the way of it. And if you get a word from God that says, don't go out and march against the enemy, stay home. Remember Josiah. But Jehoiakim was not so fortunate, and he listened to Pharaoh, and in 586 B.C., Jerusalem was sacked and destroyed. The temple was destroyed and the people were led into Babylonian exile. So, the Egyptian pharaohs 
provoked rebellion among the kings of Judah. They did it to distract the Babylonian enemy and foe. And Jerusalem paid a terrible price. But Jeremiah had warned them. Listen to this verse that I used for my text of scripture again from the contemporary English version. Give the king of Egypt this new name. Talks big, does nothing. Pharaoh gets a new name. Call him, talks big, does nothing. Talks big, does nothing. Now, Egypt, Pharaoh, and Satan have a lot in common. And God's people are well advised to avoid listening to their advice and listening to them. Look how God dealt with Pharaoh in the Exodus. Amen. There were ten plagues there, and every time God says, Moses, Pharaoh is going to recant. He's going to repent after, he's, after, after you lift that plague off of him. He's going to change his mind, and he's going to repent, and he's going to keep the people. And so God kept hammering away at Pharaoh. But all the time, God knew what Pharaoh was going to do with every one of these tests. He knew what he was going to do. By studying the effects of the ten plagues on Pharaoh, we can see that God is testing Pharaoh. In fact, the, the, the word even says that God is testing Pharaoh in these things. He's testing him. God is trying him. He's testing him. There is pressure that has to be applied. It's, it's a pressure test, people. It's a pressure cooker world we live in. And if somebody said, if you can't take the heat, get out of the kitchen. But see, that's the problem here. Because God put something inside of us, people of God. That is not us. It is not the world. And it certainly is not the devil. When we study how God worked Pharaoh over and God knew all along what Pharaoh was going to do, we can come away with the understanding that testing is God's way of pushing people toward wherever their natural inclination already is. Whatever is in them to do. You know, you can, you can disguise and mask and cover up your real heart your real motives, and your real intention. You can go along with a group of people and pretend to be part of them and look like them and act like them and talk like them until the rubber meets the road. When the testing comes down, when the heat of the sun shines, are you going to stand the test and continue to live and thrive and to grow? So, what God is doing with this pressure test is moving this process that is us, that is what we are, and pushing us to the ultimate decision. Every bit of it, every bit of it, Brother Heller, is to push us to the ultimate maximum effort and decision that we can make, the maximum capacity that is in us, the maximum real thing that is in us, the pressure test, the heat is there to prove us whether we be 
straw or wood or stubble or gold or silver or precious stones. It's there to bring out what is really in us and what we really are. What we really are shows up under pressure. Hallelujah. So at the end of it all, when judgment comes forth, it's 100% justified because that's what we really were all along. And when mercy is shown us, it's because God knows that we're hanging in there. We may not do everything just right. We may not pass everything just right. But we ain't throwing in the towel. You might have me down on the canvas mat, devil, rubbing my nose in it and taunting me and belittling me and making fun of me. But you haven't beat me. You haven't beat me. You got me down and you try to bind me and hold me up. But the minute, devil, you relax your grip, the minute you stop, stop laughing, I'm getting up and I'm going to fight you some more. Because, devil, guess what? You've got a big new name. You've got a new name. Talk big. Do nothing. Talk big. Do nothing. Hallelujah. Sometimes we handle testing like the car driver who sings as he's traveling along. And we handle temptation this way. At 45 miles an hour, we're singing, God will take care of you. At 55 miles an hour, guide me, all thou great Jehovah. At 65 miles an hour, nearer my God to thee. At 75 miles an hour, nearer, still nearer. At 85 miles an hour, this world is not my home. I'm just traveling through. At 95 miles an hour, Lord, I'm coming home. At 100 miles an hour, precious memories. How they linger. <laughs> Amen. Sometimes that's how we handle testing, you know. And things just kind of get out of hand a little bit. They get out of hand, you see. But God is testing us. He's saying, are you ready to throw in the towel? Are you ready to quit? You going to quit? Is this what you're going to hang up on? Is this what you're going to quit on? Look it. And the devil said, yeah, I got you this time. I got you this time. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. But you just need to roll over one more time and grit your teeth. Amen. And, 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 and squeeze the devil. You just talk big, but you do nothing. You got nothing, devil. Hallelujah. I'm closing tonight. You can stand together. Hallelujah. Listen, what can Satan do? What can he do? He can tempt us. Yes, he can tempt us. What can he do? He roars like a lion, makes a lot of noise. What does he do? He lies. He deceives. That's just talk. Why are you listening? Nobody can deceive you if you don't listen to them. Turn them off. Talk big, do nothing. All you doubt, all you got devils, you just telling me lies all the time. I'm not listening to you. I'm listening to the Bible. He bullies. He intimidates. Amen. But you know how to handle bullies? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Talk big, do nothing. Talk big. 
do nothing. The truth of the matter is that all the power Satan has is the power of convincing people to murder, to steal, to lie, to cheat, to commit adultery, to live in sin. All the power he has is to get them to take their own life and commit suicide. It's all stuff that people listen to. That's all the power has. he has is to get people to listen to him and go along with what he says. It's not the devil doing it. It's people he got to do it for him. Why do you want to help the devil destroy your own salvation and rob you of eternal life? Why would you do that? By listening to the devil. Talk big. Do nothing. You got nothing, devil. Because there's something inside of me that's built to handle the pressure. And no matter how much pressure comes up on the outside, my equalizer on the inside rises up to resist it. And the Bible says, resist the devil. Submit yourselves to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen. The devil, what is he? The devil is a creature. Everybody say creature. That means he was created. What is the devil? He's not me. I'm not the devil. I'm not possessed. I'm not bound. I'm not the devil. He tries to make you think you're the devil sometimes. What is the devil? He's a doomed man. He knows where he's going. What is the devil? He's a defeated foe. Jesus already whooped him. Hallelujah. The outcome is already settled. Satan knows he's lost the big game. He knows that. And he's desperate in these last days. And he's coming down with great wrath because he's desperate. And uh, that's how people act when they are beaten. When they're beaten, they get desperate and do stupid. Satan's stupid to mess with God's people. He's stupid to mess with somebody that really is saved and knows they're saved and intends to stay saved. Amen. And intends to go head to heaven. I'm going to make heaven my home. You can do whatever you want to be, devil. But when you get done messing with me, you're going to be sorry you ever touched me because it ain't over until I say it's over. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Give me your best shot. Talk big, do nothing. All you can do is talk at me. Hallelujah. The devil is not eternal. Only God is. He's not omnipresent everywhere at once. Only God is. He's not all-powerful. Only God is. He's not all-knowing. He doesn't know everything. Only God knows everything. The devil doesn't even know what you're thinking. He can put thoughts in your mind, but he can't control your mind. And you can get that thought right out of your mind. The minute you realize Satan put it in there, kick it out. Woo. Talk big, do nothing. Goodbye, devil. Get out of here. I'm not listening to you. No more. Get out. Satan talks people into sin. Talks them into death. Talks them into hell. But Jesus pulls us out. Jesus breaks every fetter. He destroys the yoke of Satan. He breaks the yoke of Satan. Hallelujah. 
then takes it off of them. Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad you know the Lord tonight? Amen. Isn't God good? Hallelujah. What's the devil got? Talk big, devil. That's all you got. Talk big. But you got nothing. Hallelujah. You got nothing on me. Let's have a song and let's have a song and dance and we'll go home. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Altar calls over. You want to come? Hey, I feel like we ought to just come up here and stomp on the devil a little bit. Amen. Uh, you might have come to church tired and miserable and cantankerous, but it's time to come tell the devil, you got to quit talking to me. I'm not listening to you no more. You just all talk, devil. You talk. I'm kicking you out of here.